Satriakal, Namaste, hello and welcome to the show called The Truth Tribe. I'm your host Ravi Thur and today we have with us a very, very special guest, Tina Singh from Bold Helmets. Tina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. For those of you who don't know Tina, Tina Singh is a mastermind behind Bold Helmets. These helmets are made specifically with sick kids in design, allowing them to ride bicycles, scooters, skating, and skateboarding. Aside from that, Tina is also an occupational therapist. It is the area providing assessment and treatment for those with acquired brain injury. So you can connect the dots as to why she started the Bold Helmets. She's also a content creator, a successful YouTube channel uh, that she has 80,000 subscribers on. Uh, she was also nominated for Women of Influence Award by RBC Canadian Women Entrepreneur Society. She's a mother of three and belongs to a family known for breaking barriers. Tina, in your own words, who are you and what do you do? So my name is Tina Singh. First and foremost, I am the mom of three boys. Uh, I'm an occupational therapist. I have worked in the area of head injury for about 15 years. Um, and I am, who am I? I think that my, what embodies me is really family. Family is the most important thing to me. And for me, this whole journey of bold helmets really came from my own life experience. And so when I describe myself, I think of myself as living or sharing my life's journey. So my life's journey brought me here and uh, sharing my journey in social media has really been eye-opening and an op opportunity to relate to other people around me. How did that idea came about? What was the catalyst mm -hmm. that led you to start Bold Helmets? So about, no, it's more than five years ago now. So I mentioned I'm a mom of three. My oldest son is 11 now, but when he was about, like when he was under five, he was one of those kids who started riding his bike really early, riding like um, like those electric, um, what are they called? Not not um, scooters, but like, you know, those hoverboards. He was like riding those Correct. around like yeah. in my parents' basement when he was really young. And so, you know, I was always worried about a helmet for him. And that time he was young enough that I was able to kind of squeeze on a regular helmet. And, you know, I, I said to my husband many times, there has to be a better option for this. Like as the kids get older, it's going to get harder and harder. And now we are kids who grew up here in Canada in the eighties. And so it's kind of like, oh, it'll be okay because we, none of us wore helmets growing up. Right. And so, you know, he said, oh, no, no, I think it's fine. But that as time went on and, and the challenge became bigger and bigger, and as my older kids started playing things like hockey, I realized that this was becoming a bigger and bigger problem. And not just for us. There's so many families like us who face the same challenge. And so it wasn't until, you know, that conversation happened when my son was three or four. It wasn't until um, so many years later, about three years ago, where I finally said, okay, this is continuing to be such an issue. Like, you know, maybe we can just do something about it you know, all that time, like from the time he was three, you know, we did research to see if there was options out there for kids like mine um, who are sick and kept their hair and had, you know, patka, jura, top knot, whatever you call it. Um, but there wasn't any, and there wasn't anything that worked well. And so we tried to, you know, tie their hair to the back and things like that, but because they weren't used to it, that was never comfortable for them. And it wasn't really an easy option for us as parents either, to be honest. Um, and then about three years ago, I finally like took the plunge and kind of signed on the dotted line with, you know, um, a design engineer to draw out what I had in mind. Um, we had a pretty good idea of what we wanted to look like, you know, and this was after us, you know, digging foam out of the helmets for so long, you know, people go as far as cutting holes in them uh, to try to get them to sit properly, because if it's not sitting properly on your forehead, it's not providing you the protection that it needs to, and it can't really do its job. So it really came from my 
life's experience as a parent um, is what led me to move forward with Bold Helmets. Obviously, it's an accumulation of events that sort of led you to take on this plunge. But was there a specific moment where you were like, you know what, I've had enough of this and I'm going to make this decision? Sort of what was the environment? Who were you with? And, and what kind of led you to make that decision in that moment? I don't know that I can say that there was a specific moment that led to that. Like, I think it was a whole lot of frustration for a long time that led to that. Um, but I can think of a time where I said to my husband, like, you know, like, I feel like we, I, like, I should just do this. I should have just done this. And he said to me, he's like, well, why don't you? Right. And it kind of felt like a problem bigger than me. It felt like um, a job bigger than I could do. Now I'm an occupational therapist and I know about head injury. However, I've never worked in product. And so developing a product is, it felt like a huge feat and it, it really is. And now having been through it is a huge feat to take on. And so I think it was, kind of just that time where I, I got frustrated and was like, you know, my boys had entered hockey around that time as well. And so I realized that the struggle was continuing, right, in a different sports in different ways. And so I think that was the time frame where I was really like, okay, this is this is enough. There has to be a better, better solution. And it doesn't seem that hard. That's what it felt like. It felt like the change wouldn't be that hard, but getting there would be very difficult. You talk about brain injury, and I think mm-hmm. uh, that's a good topic to touch on is mm-hmm because that is the main reason as to why uh, kids should be wearing helmets. In your experience as an occupational therapist, mm-hmm. uh, can you talk to me a little bit more about brain injuries as it relates to kids not wearing helmets and bike-related accidents? Yeah, so when I was working in head injury, I was working with mainly people who had uh, car accidents. So they had head and brain injuries from different reasons, right? They weren't always bike accidents. In fact, I don't know, I'm trying to think about the population I had, it was so many clients, I can't even remember now because I saw the whole range from kids to adults, right? Um, but their head injury, brain injury was from various different factors. But when we think about bicycle helmets for kids, we have research that shows that of course, no helmet can protect you in every circumstance, but we know that a correctly fitting helmet can help reduce your risk of head and brain injury by up to 69%. So we have we have that research, we have that documentation, we know why we should be doing it. I think some of the challenge that comes up with a lot of people and, and myself included, right? My husband and I, like I said, we grew up here in Toronto or in the GTA in the eighties and no one was wearing helmets, right? It's more about the educational piece around, you know, head injuries and the lifelong impact they can have. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, you, you think about kids, you're like, oh, they're fine, they're fine, they're fine. But we don't actually like, we don't actually know, right? So when someone has a head injury, if it's a closed head injury, sometimes the effect of that can be really minor. It could just be with executive functioning or, or planning or execution or any of those things. And so when we think about the lifelong effect of head injuries, we want to avoid them. And if it's avoiding them or trying to protect yourself from a head or brain injury is as simple as wearing a helmet, then wear the helmet, right? Like it's the education piece around why it's important and why we as parents should demonstrate that same behavior for our kids. And I think that's a big part of it. I was actually doing some research on on some stats and figures as it relates to brain injury. There's this one that I found out. Mm-hmm. Um, this was from Center for Disease Control mm-hmm. report out of United States. In 2020, they re- released this report, which mentions about 136,765 bike-related injuries in kids age 0 to 19. Uh, most of them are children between 5 to 14, mm-hmm. which are at highest risk. And helmets can prevent bike-related injuries, as per this report, by almost 88%. Um, that that yeah. numbers don't lie. So, so that speaks for itself. 
yeah so that number is high and it seems like it seems right to me it seems true to me right like for for me like here in canada like every country will have their own stats a little bit and my stats might be a little bit older as well yours might be a little bit newer so when we look at the different reports like we know that helmets help prevent injury in kids like that is what it is a helmet that's worn correctly we know that it can protect you in every situation but we know your best chance of protecting yourself is a helmet that fits well that you're using correctly right the only helmet that can protect you is the one you're wearing that's another thing if you if you own a helmet but you don't wear it it's not going to protect you and so you know this the stats don't lie right and i think when it comes to my kids you know there are going to be people who say that oh my kid doesn't need this they know how to ride their bike now they're all fine however in my experience or or my opinion I feel like if I want my kids to wear a helmet, they should have access to one, which is the whole premise behind bold helmets, right? If they, if I want my kids to wear a helmet, they should have one that works for them. Like that is just basic. That's just like a basic necessity to me that they should have the option to have one. Um, and so that's really where bold helmets kind of came to be. Can you take us behind the scenes on your journey of bold helmets uh, from when you first started to where you are now? What are some of the lessons that you've learned along the way and, and how's the journey been going so far? Okay, so there is a lot. I've learned a lot. I'll say this, like this has been, um, I've learned the most through this experience, probably through any of my life experiences or any job that I've had or anything that I've done. Um, it's because I went into it not knowing how to do it. And that's the truth. Like I could, I could sit here and say like, oh, I knew I could tackle this. I knew I was going to get this done, but that's not the truth. I didn't know that I was going to make it to the end of this and have a finished product. When I jumped into this, I was very scared. I was nervous about running out of money before I got to the end of having a product that was actually viable to use and safety certified. When you go into this kind of space and you work with you know, different engineering firms, you, they don't guarantee that you're going to get to the end, right? And so when I'm signing on this dotted line and, and committing this this money and committing this time and effort towards this project i didn't know i was going to get to the end and there was a couple of times where i was worried that i wouldn't and and that's the truth and i think some of the lessons that i've learned along the way are that failure or not failure iterations of your product or changing your product is part of the journey it doesn't mean that you made a mistake it means that you had to change the way you're doing things and i think that has been probably the biggest lesson i have to keep changing things as i'm going as I learn more, as I do more, right? Um, for example, our very first prototype did not have foam uh, where we have the dome portion for the hair of the Judah. And we learned after we created that first like 3D printed prototype, which was very, very basic, we realized that it would not pass the safety testing because part of the safety testing is they drop an anvil on the top of the helmet and if it cracks, it will not pass, right? And so we realized even though we feel like our kids have two or three inches of hair and it's a lot of protection, it's not gonna meet the standard for what it needs to meet to be able to be sold in Canada, US, UK, and the European Union. So things like that, like the iteration process is part of the journey. So that's something important I've learned. The other important thing that I've learned or something I wish that I had throughout the process is a mentor. Now, unfortunately, or fortunately, in the helmet space, there's very few independent brands who create who make helmets. And I, I have a very good uh, feeling as to why, <laughs> because it's very difficult, it's very expensive, and you can face a lot of challenges along the way. But um, there's not too many independent helmet uh, brands. And so it's hard to find a mentor in this space. But if you're planning on trying anything in any space, find a mentor, find someone you trust, someone who can help guide you, because it will save you a lot of like, It'll save you a lot of a lot of pain and a lot of redoing when you don't know how to do things if there is someone who can help guide you and share their experiences.
the other big players in the helmet industry, why do you think they did not come mm-hmm. up with this, this idea or why wasn't it a priority for them? So I can't say for sure because I'm not in that space, but my guess would be, or my opinion is probably that it's a smaller market, right? When we look at uh, six in Canada for this specific product that we have for six in Canada, you know, we have like 800,000 six in Canada, which is a decent number. But then when we look at the US, it's 500,000, UK, 500,000, India has got like 23 million, right? But when we look at the market here in North America, it's not a huge market, right? And I do feel that based on social media comments, like some of the comments that I've heard, um, I do think that people are scared to do things a little bit differently than they've been done. I think that's part of it. So one is that I think that they didn't feel it was a big enough market, right? And now me personally affected, it made sense for me to go forward with this. Maybe it doesn't make sense for a bigger brand to to pursue this because there's not a big enough market for them. Uh, for me, it has a personal connection. Like I did it because it means something to me, right? So there's that. And then there's also this unwillingness to change from how we do things. Like helmets have always looked a certain way, but that's not to say that they can't look different. Maybe it takes more work. Maybe it takes more education. Maybe it takes more learning and experience to, to change the way we do things. Um, and, you know, sometimes, sometimes people are resistant to that. And I, I did see that in some of the comments that I did get from some people who were like, well, they just need to tie their hair differently, or they just need to have things differently in order to wear what is approved and out there. Well, this is approved and out there and it, it meets their needs, right? So I think it's that unwillingness to change some of our perceptions about how things should be. Can you sort of walk us through with who's who in the zoo? How do you manage things? Um, what does it all look like mm-hmm. behind the scenes for you? So behind the scenes for me is actually very simple. It's just me usually running around uh, behind the scenes, to be honest. Um, so it's it's just me. My uh, husband is heavily involved with, you know, the design process and all of that. And he is my go-to for everything. So he's involved in that way. But in terms of the day-to-day, um, like, I w- I'm not going to say nine to five because this is like, you know, a 15-hour-a-day job. But, I, you know, the, the day-to-day is me. And, and up until like three weeks ago, I was still packing orders in my basement and dropping them off to the carrier. So we just now have a logistics company doing that part for us. But from from top to bottom is kind of falls on me, right? And so when it comes to, you know, our website and design and those things, I leave that to my husband. My husband is a computer engineer. So that part I leave to him um, to help me out with that. But again, it's going to be me having to say to him, okay, I need to change this page to do this, this, and this. Can you do it for me? And that's because he's just very, very busy in his own job as well, right? He's an engineer and he's very busy himself. Being the only person who is accountable and responsible mm-hmm. for this um, mm-hmm. business journey of yours, how do you manage your time effectively? And and then having three kids on top of that, how do you schedule things and how do you prioritize and execute them? So initially, it was a lot of, um, initially, things were a lot less balanced. I'll say that. So initially, it was a lot of me working and just like, the kids entertain yourself for a little bit. I have to get this done. And me just trying to do the bare minimum, I would say as summer holidays for my kids have started. So in the beginning of July, now that I have like a logistics company that takes care of shipping and all those things kind of without me thinking about it, that has taken a lot off my plate. I didn't think that it would because I thought it was just six or eight hours a week, but it really has made a significant difference even in the mind space that I have because I don't have to think about, okay, I've got to make sure I get orders out on this day. I can't be out of town for more than two days. Like things like that were a real, real challenge for me, especially with my kids on holiday. Um, So things were a lot less balanced before. Now things are better in that space. And I think when it comes to managing time, I 
have a list. I use this app called Trello. I'm sure people know it. I have this list that's ongoing. It's things I want to do this month, things I want to do this week. And then usually, especially in the summer months, I have my top three priorities and I try to just get those three things done. Uh, it means I work odd hours. Like I work all the time. Like if an email comes in from a customer, because I also do customer service. So if an email comes in from a customer, has an issue with their product, has questions, you know, anything like that, like I answer that on the go when I'm with my kids from my phone. It's not a great work-life balance, but I know that these are the early stages of a startup and that's kind of how it goes. Um, and truth be told, I'm kind of used to this because even in the social media space, I started that when my youngest son was like three months old. So I've always kind of been working like this. Now I'm prioritizing seeing what I can get off my plate in a way that I can still afford, right? Like I, I'm still a startup. I can't afford to have everyone take over everything, but you know, like the shipping and logistics, I was able to hand off. I have like uh, an email marketing contract that takes care of that part of things. Um, and I'm hoping to, you know, have things like, like a bookkeeper part-time, like those kind of things to get them, get some of those administrative things off my plate. And also some of the things that I'm just not as good at, right? Like I can't be good at everything. And so the things I don't have a strength in, I try to give those uh, to other people. And so that has kind of been my team very like contract here and there, but I'm trying to build that a little bit more. So that's my priority and how I think that I'm going to be moving forward because we are in the process of you know, uh, developing further products and doing all that. And so that requires a lot of time and energy. So I need to move some of these other tasks off my plate. So not great balance now, but hoping it'll be better in the future. I wanted to yeah. ask you next, how do you strike a balance between style, culture and safety with your product? It's a really good question. Um, I think when it came to like the style of the design of our product, we went really, really just what, followed the the line of a patka. that's really where that design came from right we're like it should just be a really simple modification that will work and, and do its job without creating a whole different thing right and it is a really really simple modification that we made um the style and design like i said really just comes from functionality we wanted it to function and do its job um when we come in line with culture i think what we try to do is or what we've tried to do is even with the name Bold Helmets, I think what we've really tried to do is encourage our kids, our youth to maintain the identity they want to maintain while also participating in all the sports and things that they want to do that might be part of being part of the North American culture, right? Or the European culture, whatever it is, wherever those, those kids may be. And so we want people to be bold in their identity, but also bold in their pursuit of their passions and whatever that is, right? Um, and so I think when it comes to combining culture with the product, I think that's kind of where the cross-section is, right? You know, we want people to be who they are while also doing what they want to do, right? So I think that's really where that cross-section lies and where we've tried to highlight why this product is a good thing, like why it's a good thing for our sick youth who wear patkas. When we're talking about Sikh youth who have a patka or, or who have mm -hmm. Juda, they all vary. They are all different sizes and different mm -hmm. volume of your hair. So how does that incorporate into mm -hmm. the style of mm -hmm. your helmet? Yeah. Yeah. So the dome portion or the, the part of the helmet that holds the patka uh, or holds the Juda, really, we've made it like wide enough and hair also compresses a little bit. So we haven't really found a huge issue depending on how much hair someone has or does it like generally it falls in that 
in that range. Could there be like a certain situation where where a child really doesn't, their hair is really too much for that? It's a possibility, of course, and we're all different, right? I haven't had that experience yet, right? Like there's enough of a wide um, dome portion that it will fit and it'll compress on a little bit. So we don't have, for example, helmets for different sizes of Judas. Like we don't have that. This this size seems to fit. So my oldest son has a lot of hair and has a very big Judah. And so the same helmet fits him that fits my seven-year-old, right? So it really, really depends on the child, of course, right? You will have some circumstances. For example, if you have someone with a really like circular head, for example, it does happen sometimes. Um, that standard bike helmets, not just the bold helmet, any helmet is a hard fit for them. And that's just the nature of the way helmets are made, right? Um, and so you might run into issues that way, but not with the with the Judah itself. So if I had a Judah, then that kind of changes things. And that's why I asked you mm-hmm. the question. So thanks for that explanation. Yeah. Um, I, w- yeah. I was watching your video tutorial online and there's something that you call 2v1 rule. Can you talk to me a bit more about that? What was mm-hmm. the thought process behind that? And, and, and what does that mean? Yeah, so I didn't make that up. Let's say that first. That's a very well-known like standard across the board as to how to fit a helmet. So the 2v1 rule is really a great way for kids and adults alike to remember how a helmet should fit. And so the idea is that you want the helmet to sit one to two finger spaces above the eyebrows. And this is the issue that we see with kids with Judas. They're wearing standard helmets. They're like up here, right? And so if you hit the floor, your face hits the floor first. We don't want that. We want the helmet sitting here. So one to two finger spaces above the eyebrows. So that's the two. The V is that the straps, you need to pull that little section at the bottom, the clip up to here. So we make a V around our ear, right? And then one finger space between the chin strap and our chin. So that's how snug a helmet should fit. And uh, with our helmet and most helmets, actually, there is a fit adjustment dial at the back. So you make sure that you get that snug fit, that it's staying in place. I'm one of your customers or potential clients who is interested to buy the helmets. What's the process? Mm -hmm. Where do I go? What do I order? How many different models I have? Can you uh, walk me through with that? Yeah, so right now we're currently selling online. We do have a few uh, retailers. I think there's two of them in Alberta, like smaller bike shops or inline skating schools that um, do supply our product as well, where you can get it in person. But generally speaking, we sell online on our website, boldhelmets.com. Currently, so the helmet that we have now, it's actually certified for bicycle, kick scooter, inline skating, so like rollerblading um, and skateboarding. And so, you know, that's why I'm saying some of the Alberta, like inline skate schools, they do have it as well there. Um, and on our website, we have three three products to choose from. They're currently all in a size small, which is 48 to 56 centimeters. In our experience and testing, it fits kids or generally should fit kids between the ages of five and 12. Um, that being said, every kid is different. So we have a guide on our site on how to measure your child's head circumference to make sure that it's going to fit before you order. That's one of the challenges with ordering online. So we like to have some retailers that have our stuff as well. Um, but right now the product is all size small. And in 2024, we will have a size medium. So right now we have this product size small and the color choices are metallic red, metallic blue and matte black. Awesome. And, and how much these helmets cost? So depending on where you are in Canada, they retail for $79.99. In the U.S., it's $69.99 USD. And in the U.K., it's uh, just under 60 pounds. Awesome. Tina, can you talk to me about uh, a customer instance where somebody bought your product and it really resonated with them? Uh, What was the situation and sort of what was the outcome of that? Yeah, so I've had a lot. And that's been the most rewarding part of this process, actually. Um, So I've had a lot. And... 
one of them was really, you know, someone sent me a video of their child, uh, you know, opening the helmet for the first time and putting it on and, you know, just being really astounded that they didn't have to take out their, their Judah, right? Because normally they would have to take their hair out, put it in her braid or do something different and say, no, it fits my Judah. It doesn't come off. And so, you know, I think stories like that, and that's not the only one, there's been lots like that and just feeling like I don't have to do anything different you know, I finally feel like I fit in. Like, you know, we were never meant to fit in. We were always me meant to stand out, right? But at the same time, like, putting on a helmet and riding down the street with your friends without having to think twice about it is a freedom that, like, you know, like, my husband didn't have or, you know, my brother-in-laws didn't have because there was no option for them, right? And so, you know, I'm just thinking about, you know, something my husband said to me as well. So he, I, I mentioned we grew up here in the 80s, and so there was a time he was really into baseball. So Blue Jays were in the World Series. I think this was the 90s. And so he wanted to play organized baseball, but he couldn't, right? Because there was a mandatory helmet requirement for that. And so, you know, he can play around with his friends, but he can never join like a league. And so, you know, they stuck with things like basketball, taekwondo and all those things. So, you know, just kids being able to pick up and participate without thinking twice about it, I think has been the biggest messaging from the parents who have purchased and used the product. We were talking about what the helmets could be used today. What are some of the other areas mm -hmm. where you can see uh, a potential use case for these helmets? Yeah, so these helmets specifically can only be used for these specific things. That being said, a very similar model can be used across the board in many different sports. So we're currently in development for a hockey version. Um, which is the same kind of idea, but just for hockey, because there's a different certification for that. Those have to be CSA certified. And so every sport and activity has its own certification. So every helmet has to be made differently. So I can say that there's many different sports where we could use a similar product, uh, use cases for the existing product. Like I know that there are other groups of people who could benefit from such a helmet. So, you know, even women who keep their hair in buns don't want to be like, hot in the summertime, right? That's been a really big request actually from Australia. It's very hot there. And so they say, you know, we want something like this that we can use, right? Um, and, you know, we have people with, with dreads, different hairstyles who just can't fit regular helmets. And like you, they're just sizing up, right? Instead of getting a helmet that actually fits them correctly, but just accommodates them in the way that it needs to be accommodated. Isn't anything in place today for people who want to play hockey, uh, kids who want to play baseball, as you suggested, mm -hmm. or football? Um, I can mm -hmm. think of even more scenarios, mm -hmm. you know, when kids are snowboarding or, or skiing, you know, that's another case where yeah. they can use those helmets. So, um, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. it's uh, the potential is out there for sure. So, can, uh, Tina, let's go back into yeah. your childhood. Can you talk to us? How was it growing mm -hmm. up in your household? Because uh, you obviously come from a family which supported both of your sisters to go out and, and make your own careers as digital, digital content creators. So how was it like growing up uh, in mm -hmm. that household? And, and how was Canada back in the early 90s as compared to what it is today? So, um, so Lily is like six years younger than me. So like I was born in 82, right? She's born in 88. And so we like growing up, I don't know, we had a very typical household with the exception of we had two working parents, right? So I think a lot of kids who grew up in the 80s in in Canada, usually had one parent at home, we didn't like we had our neighbor was our babysitter. And so she babysat a ton of neighborhood kids. And so I think that's the only difference or a difference that I've noticed between friends of mine and, and our household. Our household was, I mean, I, I would think we're a pretty average household, right? Like we're like my parents were first generation Canadians, they're, you know, immigrants to this country. And so they were busy working, right? And I'm happy to say so many years later, they've done incredibly well for themselves, right? And so they're, they're, they're set for life. And they really did 
instill the work ethic. Like you have to work hard in everything that you do and you have to be able to stand on your own two feet. And so that was messaging that I think maybe wasn't always given to South Asian girls growing up, but that messaging was very strong in our house that you need to be able to not, you don't need to rely on anyone else. You need to be able to stand on your own two feet. Um, and so those are kind of the things that I, I remember from my childhood. So seeing my parents work hard was one thing. The other thing was seeing, you know, the close knit family. Like we didn't have a huge family circle, but the family circle we had was very close and they're still the people with us today. It's not like, oh, we're close for a little bit. Like the people who are there, they're the people that we have. Um, and then, you know, just the, the, the work ethic and being independent. Like that was really, really strong messaging in our house. And how would you say your sister's uh, journey has impacted your own journey? Yeah, so she, so starting the social in the social media space, 100% impacted my journey because I never would have had the guts to sort of take in, take on that, um, take on that role or try that out if she hadn't done it. So she definitely normalized it at a time when, um, when not a lot of people were doing it so that she normalized that journey, but then also, you know, kind of gave me the confidence to try it out as well. And it came to me at a time that was actually really important because I had just had my third my third child and so you know we lose ourselves as parents a little bit in that time you know we're raising small children and so it gave me a creative outlet something to do on my own and so that really that really was helpful to me and it helped me create this uh community around me that I still carry with me today right so I think it was that that confidence and encouragement that I got from her that really helped to impact what uh my 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 role in jumping into social media when it comes to bold helmets you know i definitely did tell her about the idea well once it was well underway and so you know she's completely supportive of the idea of course um but you know i think that already having a presence in the social space certainly helped it so like i'm sure that you saw early on in january we had a ton of media coverage that media coverage came from honestly a really well-written press release so i have a friend who does pr i wrote a press release she looked it over for me we sent it to media and that's how that got coverage and so that was it really um it really helped that i had social media experience behind me because i had to do a lot of interviews during that time and that can become really overwhelming and it did for me as well but because i had that experience i was able to carry through it a little bit more easily on the digital content creator's journey you've had a youtube channel you have eighty thousand plus Mm -hmm. subscribers out for what are the do's and don'ts so when it comes to YouTube, I will say that I'm absolutely no expert and actually I haven't posted there in a long time because I've been so busy with the Bold Helmets journey that I've decided, again, when you're asking how do I balance things, I had to try to pick and choose what I could manage. And so that was one of the ones I couldn't manage. However, I will say anyone starting out on YouTube, my my only advice is to be consistent with how you're posting, be consistent with um, how you show up and do what you love, share what you love, because if you are sharing content, that you're trying to share because you think it's going to get a lot of clicks it's going to get a lot of views at the end of the day it's not going to bring you joy it's not going to be fulfilling to you and you may like seeing those numbers grow initially but that will that will stagnate if you don't love what you do so love what you do and show up consistently and and i would argue show up authentically if you show up authentically in this space it'll take longer for people to connect with you but when they connect with you it's like a lifelong connection that's that's perfect that's our tagline where authenticity reigns so that <laughs> uh, thanks for mm-hmm. that um, yeah. Tina, if I was to ask you, what has been the lowest point in your journey so far? And what did that teach you? 
So for me, I think it was actually when our product first went live. So we did a lot of media coverage. And so once I did that, and now it's going to sound like it was a lot, but it wasn't. There were select people in the community who had an issue with the name we went forward with. So we originally launched as Sick Helmets, which I would still argue is an excellent name for the product and what it does, right? Especially from a marketing perspective, right? Like it's very clear what the product does and who it's for. That being said, there was some... um you know, some concerns from the community. And that wasn't so much my low point, like people having concerns and then me pivoting with the name, that wasn't a low point. But what came with that, along with um, some concerns about the name was really personal attacks at me, my family, my kids, my husband. I think that was the low point because I've been on social media for a long time, like I said, like over seven years, right? And so for people then to attack my family in a way that's I've never seen before in this space, sharing so vulnerably and openly, was really, really challenging. And I think people questioning, you know, my faith, the faith of my family, what rights I have to say anything about how people should be doing things, I think was really, really challenging for me. Um, like I said, having been in the space for a long time helped prepare me, helped prepare me for that a little bit, but it was more than I anticipated. So that was definitely a low point. Um, I mean, we moved on from it pretty quickly, but that is something I would recall as a low point from when we started. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. Um, just to switch gears here, a um, little offside conversation here. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've followed your social mm-hmm. media and uh, recently you have raised um, a couple of topics. I just wanted to quickly touch uh, base mm-hmm. with you on that. So one of them being um, feeling obligated to accept invites and going out to these functions when <laughs> when you probably can't. Um, I just wanted to check what, what's your thought yeah. process on that, on that. What do you see out there? Yeah. So, you know what, that video really came from, you know, conversations with friends and, you know, we're trying to make plans. They're like, oh, I have six weddings this week. <laughs> you know, like in this month of July, I have six weddings, whatever. And, you know, close people, I get it. But some of those friends really felt obligated to go to every event for every because someone was going to get mad at them or upset with them. And I said, you know, we have to pick and choose, right? Like people who are close to us, we are there for them no matter what. Like I said, my, my close family, I am there for them no matter what. But it was really like, you know, when you have invitations from people maybe you don't know so well or people who maybe you haven't seen in many years or maybe you know there could be other circumstances and you know kind of trying to normalize that like there there are many people like especially in in this economy who can't afford to attend every wedding that they get invited to not not it's not because they don't want to give gifts to the bride and groom i'm sure they absolutely do or in my case i absolutely do but when it comes to all the clothing you need for these events the five functions you know the days off work you might have to take right you got to dress yourself you got to dress your kids it's got you know it's a huge it's a huge thing and so i i i feel like there's very few events i've ever turned down to be honest there's very, very few. Um, and really, I only get invited to the to the places where people who are close to me anyways. And so this is not coming from a personal experience, but I can share that I did have a personal experience many, many years ago, like I want to say like 10, 12 years ago, where someone invited me to something, it wasn't even a wedding. It was um, like I, some kind of social event. I don't remember what it was now. But it was, I told them I would get back to them and let them know because I believe strongly you need to RSVP, you need to tell people whether you're coming or not. And I said, I'll get back to you. And the response was like, what do you need to get back to me about? If there's nothing in your calendar, why aren't you coming? Right? Like it was one of those where I was overwhelmed in the moment when the person called me. And then with that response, I was like, okay, I'll let you know. And in the end, you know, I told them, I'm sorry, I can't make it. And I didn't go because there was too many other things happening in my life. And I think that we need to normalize that. Not everyone is in the space to come celebrate all the time. And not everyone can afford to come out and celebrate all the time. And not everyone, you know, has children who do well in those circumstances. Maybe they don't have childcare. Like there's just so many things. And I just, 
wanted to normalize that it is not always because of you, right? So I think when you don't attend something, people think, oh, she didn't want to come to my event. He didn't want to come to my event. It's really not about that. There could be so many other things that are happening. Um, Tina, what does the future look like from here on for Bold Helmets? Uh, where is Bold Helmets heading? What can we expect in the pipeline in terms of collaboration, more products? Yeah, so we are in the very early stages of design for the hockey version of our helmet. And so that is something we are hoping, hoping to have for fall of 2024. I can't guarantee that yet because it's still early. It has to go through all this testing and molding and all those things. And so depending on how that goes will affect its timeline. So it is in in the pipeline, but we just don't know when. Uh, Ski and snowboard is actually uh, one as well that's early, but less less work involved to be honest that's an easier fix because it works very similarly to our bicycle helmet mold um so that is coming down the pipeline as well the size medium is also confirmed for 2024 of our existing product so there's a lot like that's actually a big product jump offering uh for for one year because all these products cost a lot to to develop and and test and manufacture and so we do have kind of like a big I would say a big product offering kind of coming down the pipeline in the next like 12 to 12 to 18 months. Perfect. Um, initially in our conversation, I heard you say that the biggest market for sick kids exists in India, which is about 23 million, some kids. Um, are, do you have mm-hmm. any plans uh, of expanding into that market anytime soon? Yeah, so I hope so. I do, we do hope to expand into the Indian market. We want to make sure we do it right. We want to make sure that we have the right partners there. We want to make sure it's going with education as well. Like we talked about, you know, even here, here in Ontario, we have a law that you have to wear helmets under the age of 18. Everyone's required to wear a helmet. But like India doesn't have the same laws. They don't have the same experience. They don't have the same, um, like their, their life experience is different than ours. And so if we expand to that market, it has to come with education. It has to come with proper use. So there's a lot of move, like a lot of parts that go with that. It's not just, for example, if I was selling a t-shirt where I'm like, okay, well, let's just get this through a distributor in India. Like we can't work it the same way. We want to make sure it's well received and, and, um, and used correctly and all of that. And so uh, we're early in that process, but yes, we do hope to expand, expand to that market. I'm hoping sooner than later, but we're, we're working on it. Tina, beyond making helmets, beyond your digital creator journey, what kind of impact do you want to leave mm-hmm. uh, on, on your fellow community members? And how do you wish to inspire others through your work? So I think that if I leave any impact on this earth, I would want that impact to be or or I want that to be that you're never too old to try something new. That would be what I want people to know. That was what I would want women, mothers, men, whoever like me to, you know, feel like they can take on something at any stage. Right. And like I said, not just for women, for men also, like you're never too old. Like I'm turning 41. Right. And I've taken on this journey. I took on this journey before I turned 40. Right. And so many times I, I, I feel like maybe this was not the right time for me to take this on. There was no reason for me to take on all this additional stress and this whole, this whole process. But I always focus on what my end goal is and that is to foster inclusion and diversity in sport right that's my goal and so i'm honored to do the work so if i leave anything it's you're never too old to try something new i Mm -hmm. have some quick rapid fire questions for you uh just one line Mm -hmm. answers no explanation necessary and uh Mm -hmm. let's do this perfect so if i have to ask you Mm -hmm. what is your favorite book what would that be 
I'm not done reading it yet, but Shoe Dog. I'm like halfway through. It's, it's the story of Nike. Yeah, that's Phil Knight. Uh, yeah, I have that book right here. Mm -hmm. and it's one of the best books I've read. So that along with Elon Musk's so uh, autobiography. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what purchase of $100 or less um, has impacted your life in a positive manner in the last year? I, what is the kitchen organization thing? Yeah. Like those things to organize my fridge. Those have impacted my life. Yes. That's perfect. Um, how has a failure uh, set you up later for success in your life? I'm going to go back to social media and say that being on social media prepared me for things that were going to come my way. And so even if I struggled in January this year, if something comes up in the future, I'm very confident I can handle it in a public space. Awesome. Uh, if you can write anything on a billboard for the entire world to see, what would that be? Be bold. That's perfect. Thank you. What new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? In the last five years, the belief that I can accomplish things I set out to do has positively impacted my life and I'm repeating it to myself on the daily. Perfect. And what is a bad advice that you hear people giving around you uh, to others? That you need to quit your day job to focus fully on your business if you want it to succeed. I think that's bad advice. What's one thing you believe to be true, but others think is insane? That one person can change the world. That's perfect. We'll leave it at that. Um, Tina, before mm -hmm. it's been a pleasure chatting with you and there's a lot of good tidbits that we can all use in our day-to-day -day lives and, and make an improvement. So I appreciate you uh, sharing all that with us. Before we let you go, are there any final comments that you would like to make? Any parting thoughts uh, for anyone who might be listening to this? I think I've shared a lot. <laughs> I've shared a lot today. And I think my... <laughs> You know, just what I was saying of things I want people to take away from this is just you're never too old to try something new and you need to believe in the why of what you're doing. Remember why you're doing things if you want to be successful. Mm -hmm.